time for Matty Stewart's News, RSN's racing editor. Morning, Matty. Morning, Michael. Gee, it's been a, uh, an intriguing morning out here. I know you love coming to Cranbourne as well, but um, interesting Mick Price talking about what the future may hold for Jackano. Uh, these richer races mean that these star three-year-olds that previously get shipped off to stud quickly are now hanging around longer, which is great, and maybe a, a Royal Ascot trip could be on the agenda. Yeah, 1,200 metres up the hill at Royal Ascot. You could probably go one way or the other. The 1,000 metres is a stern test there as well, but I, I like the idea of us having multiple representatives at Royal Ascot. Um, if we can, you know, have three or four like we did in, in the in the heyday back in the... Uh, you know, the takeover target sort of era where we'd, we'd have one go around in the mile race and, and so on as well. So, yeah, I think the passion for Royal Ascot and the, the tradition of Royal Ascot is, is, is great. And Jack and I would be a, a worthy sprint runner, regardless of whatever race they choose. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Gee, there's plenty of news, isn't there, in the last 24 hours. We're going to have a, a chat to Andrew Nicholl a little later, the, the boss of the Australian Trainers Association. But... What's your view? Uh, a pretty stern worded open letter to Racing New South Wales uh, penned by uh, the Australian Trainers Association to um, or read this um, this legal action that's being taken by the, the principal racing authorities. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one too and something that um, has, has come to light to me that I didn't quite realise is the first thing I thought of with the ATA... Uh, getting on the front foot and saying to Racing New South Wales, you know what, for the greater good, abandon this um, uh, court action. Uh, it's it's of no benefit to anyone. Um, and so, and then Andrew Nicholl will explain a little bit more about that when we have him on as well. But uh, uh, the there is an, a New South Wales, it's not a branch of the ATA. Of course, Richard Callender is the head of the New South Wales Trainers Association. It is in no way these days affiliated with the broader ATA, and Andrew Nicholl can probably go on to, uh, to talk about that. About eight years ago, um, New Racing New South Wales decided to, for whatever reason, and maybe Andrew Nicholl might be able to expand on this, uh, abandon its um, connection to the ATA and therefore it's, it created its own New South Wales division. Uh, Richard Callender is the head of that. So this ATA um, uh, response to racing New South Wales' court action is not doesn't involve the New South Wales Trainers Association uh, shock horror there as well. So you can imagine <laughs> what, their, what their reaction would be to it. Um, there is a story in Fairfax which I think is probably been overreacted to because there's a lot we already knew here. There weren't any really explosive accusations uh, here as reported in Fairfax. One of them is that uh, Racing Victoria um, board member Greg Nichols, who had a seat at the uh, RA, um, used his right of veto to prevent the Everest being classified as a Group 1. Well, we've known that for a long time. There was this issue of if you won't um, be versatile with the placement of the Everest, you know, Caulfield Cup, Caulfield Guineas Day, if you won't lock in a date... We won't give it Group 1 status. That's been well known for a long time. And the other one is this bizarre accusation from Racing New South Wales. <laughs> Greg Carpenter, who I think is being hauled back from Hong Kong to, to make some sort of a statement in this court proceeding, that, that he deliberately underplayed the uh, the rating of Classic Legend in winning the, uh, the Everest and gave him a 127. And I think it seems a reasonable rating for the horse and... Uh, sort of an extraordinary uh, accusation that Greg Carpenter 
deliberately downplayed Classique legend because he happened to win the Everest. So anyway, it's all pretty grubby. The Trainers Association has called in a very strongly written, uh, worded uh, press release um, a very much along the lines of Robin Wishaw in announcing that she would relinquish her seat from Tasmania as well. And look, Andrew Nichols actually online, Andrew, uh, so, <laughs> Michael, and he can sort of explain a little bit of the stuff that we haven't quite fleshed out. Uh, Andrew is the head of the ATA, of course. G'day, Andrew. How are you? Good, thanks, Matt. Michael, good morning. Yeah, I think in your press release you say it's it's... It's a fairly rare event that the ATA would get publicly on the front foot as much as it has in this situation. So obviously the feeling from the ATA was that enough is enough when it comes to the impasse uh, and, the, and the infighting and all that sort of stuff with, uh, with Racing Australia. And you've issued a very strongly worded um, statement yesterday. We, we, we did um, last week, Matt, but we did from the viewpoint of if not now, when? Um, I mean, we've sat back for a significant period of time. This is the industry more broadly, and we've just watched Racing Victoria, um, you know, operate. But really, the ability of Racing Victoria to carry out its charter in those key areas um, that we mentioned in the letter, it's just been blunted. Um, you know, for me, it's a pretty simple equation. You know, when you when you sit at the Racing Australia table, you're putting on the national jersey. You know, you're thinking more broadly. You're thinking about the landscape of the racing industry across Australia. So your solutions are, are necessarily targeting um, Australian solutions for racing uh, you know, broadly and, and beneficially. You take off your state of origin journey, jersey. You're not, you're not there representing Victoria. You're not there representing New South Wales. You're there to produce outcomes for the national interest. And, and we've sat back for many, many, many months now, and we've just watched... Um, the public brawling, um, the inability of the organisation to address those key things that need to be addressed. Um, and we just came to the resolution at our committee meeting that, you know, from a federal executive viewpoint, that if we don't say something now, when? Because the situation, it just can't continue in its current form. It just can't do so. What do you make of the court action um, of Racing New South Wales? What's the, what's the validity of it? Well, I, I, look, in, in terms of the validity of it, Matt, I mean, I, I, I'm probably not in a position to comment. I mean, like any other individual who's reading it, I'm a little stunned at the at, at the issues. I mean, it almost looks like it's a it's being used for a personal playground to um, you know to, to, to go through matters involving the, the rating of classique legend or or the inability of the of the Everest to get a um, a Group One rating. I mean, these are state based issues. These are not issues. They're not, they're, they're not issues for the racing industry more broadly. I mean, as we put in our letter, issues that are there more broadly, it's the, the operation of the pattern in general which needs you know, to be certainly looked at. It's the labour crisis that we're facing in this country. At what point in time does Racing Australia engage with you know, the federal government to, to assist that we're in, we're in a fight of our lives across this country in terms of resources and immigration. Just, just, uh, on, that, no just, just on that, uh, what yeah. I found, maybe we, we didn't quite take it in because we were sitting outside the Asian Racing Conference, not in it, and it seems to me that the biggest issue in racing domestically and globally is staff crisis and everything that parlays out from that. Has... Did did it resonate enough for you during the Asian Racing Conference? Oh, absolutely. I mean, okay. I mean, we're not alone in facing these issues, Matt. But the point is, 
Look at every other sport. Their national body is addressing those issues. They're, they're, you know, they're cohesive in terms of what they're trying to do at an AFL level, at a, at a cricket level, etc., etc. Um, or whether it's overseas in the racing jurisdictions, they're all working you know, with a common obje- objectivity. I mean, what we're doing is we, we're not doing that. We're not doing that at the national level. And unfortunately, that's potentially um, you know, setting us behind the eight ball. So we've got a lot of challenges ahead. There are, there are strong wins ahead for this industry moving forward, okay? Whether it's the wagering issues, whether it's the, the social licence, the equine um, welfare strategies that we need to, you know, to keep ahead of the curve, whether it's the labour issue, whether it's the engaging with the federal government at immigration level to see what we can do in that regard. All of these things, we need to position this industry going forward so that we can be prepared for those challenges as opposed to where we sit at this point in time, which is we've got a national body that is choosing not to address those issues. I'm not picking a side. The ATA is not picking a side, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, etc. We're not saying that one v the other. I mean, it's quite obvious, and you can read the tea leaves yourself, Matt, as can everyone else out there, on who's the protagonist here. But hang on a sec. Just on that, why can't the protagonist be laid bare? Everyone seems very, very cautious maybe there's fears of litigation everyone's mumbles behind the scenes oh we know we know what the chief culprit is here why is it never why doesn't the ata why hasn't others why haven't others even robin wishaw in abandoning her seat at the table um spoke about infighting and so on but she didn't target a uh, a purpose, you know, like who the chief culprit was. Why? Why isn't it not healthy for this debate to actually lay bare where the problem actually lies? Well, I, you're right, Matt. And I guess at the end of the day, a trickle needs to become a torrent, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, this is a starting point from the ATA's viewpoint. We're saying that you know the, the litigation, which clearly has been initiated by Racing New South Wales, needs to be abandoned. That's a mistake. That should never have occurred. It should not be, you know, in the courts at this point in time. It should be focused on other areas. We are asking Peter Volandis and Russell Balding to abandon that litigation. Have they responded to that. that request yet? No. 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 In fairness, they've only had the letter since, you know, since last Friday. So, I mean, it's, it's very new. But, I mean, in the general sense, um, that's gone to all directors. All directors have had the opportunity to respond. Um, we haven't had, you know, I mean, we've had some... Um, uh, some conversation, obviously, at a, at a level here in Victoria. Um, and we will certainly be talking to other directors um, on the RA board level um, just to see what their feedback is. But, I mean, it's, it's just enough is enough, Matt. We, um, you know, we've felt the need to come out um, and, and speak our piece. Um, I think at the end of the day, as a significant stakeholder in this industry, who is looking towards the future and what we need to build and what we need to address. Racing Australia in its current form is not providing the necessary leadership in that area. This is the start of a process for us where we need to get some sort of response from the Racing Australia directors that they acknowledge you know, the issues of the past and that we're going to actually lay down our weapons and we're going to move forward and we're going to address the issues that need to be addressed. If they fail to do that, Matt, well, I guess we'll have to see where that takes us. But I will also say this, that the view of the ATA, we don't have that view in isolation. You know, we are very active in terms of talking to other major stakeholders and other major stakeholders are circling the wagons at the same time.
Andrew, Michael Felgate here. Just a quick one. Just to, to clarify what Matt said at the start of the interview, that the Australian Trainers Association actually does not represent the, all of, uh, the whole of Australia with Racing New South Wales. Um, I believe Matt said they've carved themselves out individually under the, the, the leadership of, of Richie Callender. Is that correct? So the ATA has split with New South Wales as far as the Trainers Association is concerned? We, there is, the ATA has, there is operational um, elements of the ATA within each state, Michael. Um, so, for example, in South Australia, um, in New South Wales and Western Australia, they have retained a local trainers operation. Um, it's water in, in WA. It's New South Wales Trainers Association in Sydney. That doesn't mean that we don't collaborate with those parties. Now, we, we regularly and routinely engage with Michael Callanan on matters of national interest. Um, similarly, we do that with water over in um, WA. So, obviously, when there is a, an issue of national importance, um, you can't just operate in isolation. And whilst we don't do the, you know, the boots on the ground in New South Wales, and that is correct, that was a decision made by Racing New South Wales way back in 2007, 2008, that their preference was to have a dedicated... New South Wales Trainers Association branch. Do you so have they, anything mean any meaningful relationship with that branch? Yes, we do. As okay. I said, we, so we, on we, this we, issue, we, then this issue that you uh, that we're discussing today, um, I'd be. I think a lot of us would be curious to know what the New South Wales branch of the trainers or the New South Wales Trainers Association, what their view on this is. Well, I can't give you that, uh, Matt. You'd probably have to ask either Michael Callanan who's typically the, the chairman, and we, uh, we, um, we speak to Michael quite regularly on, on matters, um, and or Richie Callender, who obviously is the CEO. You'd have to get them on and have a conversation with them about this matter. Andrew, appreciate your time this morning. Uh, it's a dog's breakfast. There's no, there's no other way to describe it. Um, and uh, hopefully this is the straw that breaks the camel's back this court proceeding because it may galvanise the rest of Australia uh, into focusing on the one state that is the protagonist and the issue and maybe things will change uh, because at the moment uh, it's a broken system and it's a broken national footprint uh, which one state can move away and the rest can get on with it or it needs to be a total change in uh, thoughts which... We don't see happening anytime soon. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, uh, Andrew. I think it's. T- I think people are being still too polite here, Michael. I think you know, as Andrew said, on the one hand, we're not identifying ourselves with any allegiance, but on the other hand, yes, um, the cards need to be laid bare uh, across the board. You know, and the you know the us against them thing. I, I, I'm still confused as to why everyone seems to be dancing around what m- every other state knows or believes is the is the the main factor here. Yet, they, but the language is st- still very delicate. I, I don't know. Well, I think you know exactly why. No, I know, but I think I've been threatened to be sued by Racing New South Wales and uh, and the boss. So uh, there's legal letters that get uh, flown out uh, quicker than Australia Post from. uh, I know, but but maybe now's the time. So that's why everyone is trying to be delicate. I would suggest. Yeah, but I would say that now it's time to stare down to to not be not be thwarted by that. You know, Mm. see it for what it is. You know, that's what we'll see what happens when they are. 
um, seconded to legal proceedings and uh, in open court uh, what the conversations are. So I've just had a quick look at that Adam Pengelly article in The Age and, and you're absolutely right, there's nothing new in that. Racing Australia, uh, Racing Victoria has publicly stated that they um, blocked the Everest uh, coming uh, into Group 1 status, uh, but they were willing to... Um, overcome what the Patent Committee rules are. It's got to be a race for at least three years before you can get Group 1 status if they were willing to finalise a date for the Everest. So it's old news, um, which has just been written up from a Sydney perspective once again in uh, the age. Absolutely. Hey, um, we'll take it. Yep. I was going to say, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do the other news after this. Welcome back to Racing Pulse. We are live out here at Cranbourne. I'll be catching up with Kieran Maher after 10 o'clock. Also, Graham Begg uh, to go through all their stable stars. Lizzie Jelfs will also join me around about half past 10. We'll look back on the big Blue Diamond weekend, the Group 1 performances in Sydney, and we'll count down to the guineas on week on the weekend, both in Sydney and in Melbourne. But we're in the middle of Matty Stewart's news, and Matty, um, there's plenty of news around at the moment. And I, I saw an article where... Sam Friedman's talking about trying to get an alteration into the Australian rules of racing re um, horses that may be a little bit cantankerous, like Artorias and the way they're loaded. Yeah, in the UK, obviously, the Friedmans took Artorias to Europe and the UK uh, over the winter uh, to compete, and they, he became aware of a. a uh, you get a few a few goes at it. You get a handful of opportunities per season to make an application for your horse to be last into the gates. Um, here you can have a, um, a, you know, a cranky horse that's loaded first, and you just know it's not for the betterment of the horse and the and the race per se, without being given an unfair advantage. So he's suggesting that in part of the request arsenal of every individual trainer should be a restricted number. But hey, you know, Mr. Chief Steward or Mr. Starter, do you mind if this horse goes in last today because of reason A, B, and C? So it, it's not a major thing, but it certainly seems like a sensible tweak if they if they uh, allow that. Speaking of Royal Ascot, uh, just some nice comments from Jamie Carey. Um, how lovely it would be to ride at Royal Ascot, not just sort of be a guest there, uh, and how much you'd be looking forward to it. Um, um, going over there with Cool and Gatter and, and having a working holiday. So Jamie Carr on the same stage as uh, Holly Doyle and James McDonald and Ryan Moore and uh, uh, all the others would be fantastic. And Ashin Murphy. I just thought this was an interesting little... <laughs> I don't even know what sparked it, but um, obviously he had his, he's had lots of issues with his, his drinking demons and so on. And for some reason, I think it looked like a bit of a sobriety test. Someone sat Ashin Murphy down and said, uh, go through the alphabet and give us two horses in the alphabet, with starting with every single letter. So this is just a little grab of Ashin Murphy's attempt to prove that he can rattle off uh, names of horses. Two, two for every letter of the alphabet. Here's a little snapshot of Ashin at his best. A acclaim advertise B Bambattle Best Mate C Cache Calix D Dandyman Dreyfong E Anergamy Enable F Fahin Frankel G Galileo Goldacova H Havana Gold Havana Grey I Indigo Breeze Iceman John Bond Jackano K Caraconti Camaco L Lamatos Lamy well, it sort of goes on from there, but I thought I liked how we put Jacket in there. Uh, the so boys would be happy about that. Shin Murphy. I sort of thought it might have been some sort of a sobriety test to, to show how smooth the formerly drunken Shin Murphy can be when he puts his mind to it. Hey, um, just a couple of other little things. Uh, 
Interesting discussion on after the last last night between Richo and Jane about, and this is something that we've tried before. This is a little grab of a bit of audio about some ideas off the back of Sandown last week with the features rolled out late in the day. Keep this really simple and say, yes, I love it. It should happen every single race meeting. I just think you know, sometimes they did when try it a couple, couple of years ago and they and the people were annoyed that the crowd was leaving when they were doing the presentation. Oh, well, I, look, I think at the end of the day, when you run a Group 1 race at race 7 or 8, it always feels like a little bit of a backward step when yeah. you go into the last race of the day because you've had your high and it's almost like you're coming down off of your high, whereas if you have your high at the end of the day, it means your attention stays involved all day and then you get the uh, best race at the end of the day. I think it's a great idea. I think in theory, Jane's right, but as Richo said, the the experiment we had where we ran the Caulfield Cup as the last race and so on, people were just knackered by the you know, the ninth race or the, the, the ninth of nine or whatever it was. So I think, and then the sun was setting, there were shadows on the track, I think if you're running nine race meetings and with 40-minute gaps, I, I think, as Richo said, we have been down that road before, and it kind of got shouted down. I know where we had three feature races rounding off the Sandown program, which was fantastic. And by the way, I'm still chasing the, the KPIs of the day, the crowd figure. I, sadly, I couldn't go, but the crowd apparently was unbelievable. The wagering for the previous Sandown meeting was on par with had it been at Caulfield, and the, the only box to tick was crowd or not. Everyone that I know went there said there was no way they would have got a bigger crowd at Caulfield than they got at Sandown. Now that the Sandown oh. idea is catching on, so I think Jake Norton yesterday, Ben Ascari told us on the verdict that Jake Norton said it was around about six thousand for the crowd, which was about twenty five percent down on what they would get if they held the meeting at Caulfield. But it was a very good crowd for Sandown. Yeah, um, well, those who were there anecdotally said it felt every bit as big as it would have been at Caulfield. So if the, if the stats say slightly otherwise, but Sandown's still playing familiarity catch-up as well. It's now starting to resonate and the and the wave is growing bigger and bigger. Um, so just on the last race feature, do you would you, would you like to go back to that time where Caulfield Guineas, Caulfield I it, Cup... I thought it worked. We, we spoke about it yesterday, actually, on the verdict. I thought... It worked really well on Saturday because there were three Group 1s ending the day. I thought Manicato, through um, extenuating circumstances, worked brilliantly as the last race on Cox Plate Day um, last year. Um, I think the Melbourne Cup should be run later. I don't think the Melbourne Cup should be race 7 of 10 or 9 or whatever they do. Don't necessarily believe it should be the last race. I think when you've got the ultimate crescendo race, such as a Cox Plate, a Caulfield Cup or Melbourne Cup, it probably shouldn't be the last, but you do want another feature maybe after that as well. Um, But I I loved having those three Group 1s, the last three Group 1s on Saturday, and I, I thought it built beautifully. It's maybe different when you've got one of your major pillar races in spring of putting that race on last, but I think... Finishing as you build the meeting is a. I'm in favour of it. Yeah, I don't like the. I didn't like the last race as feature when they did it a few years ago. But there might be a bit of a somewhere in between sort of uh, solution. How do they close Sandown in the future? That's a text message we got off the back of all the love for Sandown. What well are Michael and the interviews you did with Mick Price and Michael Kent Jr. It was interesting to hear how the wheels of the stable turn. Hi guys, these are some of these ones where you you get halfway through. 
long-time listener, first-time messenger. I like many... I, like many others, have sat back and listened to what's happening with Racing New South Wales and listening to your responses and what's happened. I feel it's very much like the reign of President Trump in America and how he tackled things when they didn't go his way. So that's an interesting one. (laughs) One about Richard Callender that I won't read out because I might get served. Uh, Having the main race late in the program works well as long as the track conditions hold up. That's an interesting one, Rod, from Strathmore about... Pristine, the, the, the longer you go into the day, the less pristine the, the galloping surface tends to be. So uh, that's a bit of a food for thoughter. Um, Morpherville plans, interesting with what's going on at Caulfield and Sandown. Uh, uh, .com's done an interesting story on the redevelopment lands at Morfordville, which have taken another uh, step forward towards um, planning stage. And very similar theme to... Um, Caulfield and Mooney Valley with the encroachment of suburbia and a tie-in with a precinct and so on. So if you want to read a little bit more about that, that's uh, uh, that news is out there. Um, and I will try and get some absolute um, f- uh, figures for Sandown as well, Michael, just to uh, right. just so we can compare them. Just to- speaking of figures, I've just got a press release which is being released from the VRC. I think it was actually on the front page of the, the, yep. the paper today or, um, about the epic economic impact of the Melbourne Cup Carnival, which... I think this is really positive for racing uh, in general. It says that the Melbourne Cup Carnival was the number one economic generator of any annual sporting event in Australia with $422 million in gross economic benefit delivered to Victoria in 2022. So that's bigger than the Australian Open. That's bigger than the Grand Prix. That's bigger than uh, any other Australian sporting event, which... You know, there's a lot of talk about maybe racing is waning in the general popularity. Maybe it's not uh, as many people engaging with it. But then when you come out and see figures like that, it's a very positive um, figure for for racing and the Melbourne Cup Carnival in itself. And uh, the study went on to say that um, 10.3 million adult Australians or one in every two engaged with the Lexus Melbourne Cup Day watching, listening or participating in an activity to celebrate the day. So they yeah, have very positive figures. That's that's the one that sort of jumps out and 60,000 people sort of arrived in the state and, and, and participated as well. So on face value, those... Uh, uh, I wouldn't take them to the bank as far as um, the, you know, the relationship between the cup and racing and so on, but they're certainly very encouraging figures. Um, uh, that's it for me, Michael. Uh, so I'll be yeah, back with, the big v with young, young Hornet a little bit later on.